Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is Me Undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some Me Undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of Me Undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash sacred text. Hi, everybody. We are very excited to present a new episode of The Women of Harry Potter. What you are going to hear in today's episode is a conversation between me and the amazing Margaret H. Willison. Margaret will introduce herself a little bit in the episode, but you will hear us talking about the great, the good, the wonderful, the brilliant Minerva McGonagall. I hope that you enjoy this episode. And if you do, Margaret is going to be leading our Pride and Prejudice pilgrimage. And so you can spend some time with her in Derbyshire this June. And so you can find out more about that at readingandwalkingwith.com. Okay, enjoy. Hi, Margaret. Hi, Vanessa. Welcome to Women of Harry Potter Land. Thank you so much for having me. Do you like our curtains? I love your curtains. They're fictional. 
that makes so much more sense because I wasn't really seeing them. But look, I've taken an improv class. I know how to yes. I guess I just yes. I didn't yes and. I wasn't like, yes, the stripes are so interesting. I love how you've mixed them with the polka dot. Thank you. What inventive pattern clashing. <laughs> Look at you, yes anding. I'm remembering after all these years. It's been a while. <laughs> so, Margaret, do you mind telling everybody who you are? Sure. Uh, I am Margaret H. Willison. I'm a librarian, podcaster, and culture writer. I am one half of the Two Bossy Dames newsletter slash miniature media empire. Everybody go subscribe right now. TwoBossyDames.substack.com. I am one third of the podcast appointment television. I am a semi-regular fourth chair on the NPR podcast Pop Culture Happy Hour, and I am the host of the best 24-7 slumber party on Twitter at the handle at Mrs. Friday Next. That is true. <laughs> like, if you really just want someone to talk to you about which Austin heroines need therapy the most at 2.30 in the morning Eastern Standard Time, I am now and forever your girl. And braiding your hair via Twitter while doing it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Um, advising you on the best places to find fit and flare dresses complete with pockets since 2009. So accomplished. So, Margaret, you are blessing the one, the only, the great Minerva McGonagall today. Yes, I am indeed. And what have you decided to bless Minerva for? She deserves so many she blessings. She deserves so many blessings, but I am blessing her today for being the only teacher at Hogwarts with consistently responsible pedagogical instincts. Uh, you know that I am, just like you are constantly at a sleepover party, I'm constantly working on a book called Failed Pedagogy at Hogwarts. <laughs> it is a, a book a mile long that I'm working it's, on. It's one of the really interesting things about being somebody who grew up with this series is how much of a tonal shift you get on various different aspects of it when you read it over the whole course of your adult life. You know, when you're a kid, you don't look at how the teachers and adults behave at Hogwarts as, like, wildly inappropriate. But then when you revisit it as an adult, you're like, wow, who gave these monsters access to small children and moldable minds? And why did they do that? And why aren't the wizarding parents of Harry Potter more attuned to how bad everything is all of the time? So, I mean, the lack of parent communication, I feel like, is its own I don't even want to say chapter of my failed pedagogy <laughs> book. It's like it, the second book. But I'm going to try for a minute because this is a leadership problem, right, with Dumbledore. Absolutely, which is one of the close readings we're going to get into later. I'm going to just say, do you find it a compelling argument to say Dumbledore is not trying to educate these kids? He is trying to squash Voldemort while keeping a school running. Yeah, I think that that is an ac absolutely accurate thing to say, but I do think there's a moral complexity to making that choice that the narrative abdicates the responsibility of engaging with. Ugh, so well said. Okay, so McGonagall, though, she is our beacon of hope. Yeah, she's like the one teacher at the school who's like actually a teacher who seems to be sincerely invested in the education of the students in her care and of sort of like the holistic well-being of the students in her care and not in a empty or enabling way, um, but in like a way that sometimes means like she knows 
when to say no, and you also get to see these joyous moments when she says yes. And there's this ethic of care that is represented by McGonagall in the books that uh, you just really, I come to appreciate what could have been. And it's all the more impressive in that there clearly aren't, like, professional development days for Hogwarts teachers. No. God. There there aren't days in which they're talking about what the culture of a school should be, what boundary setting looks like with students, when it's okay to pull an 11-year-old aside and be like, you should be in trouble right now, but actually I'm going to put you on the Quidditch team. And (laughs) when you need to be like, no, you have to respect Professor Umbridge, and this is a line, right? Right. But she is threading this needle again and again completely on her own. Minerva McGonagall in book five is the true hero of that book. Oh, absolutely. Because just to imagine, like, the level of professionalism she musters. There's an incredible scene, and I'm going to be completely transparent. I consulted with my best friend to figure out the best scenes to bring forth this aspect of Minerva McGonagall. And without my best friend, Carrie, a graduate student of education at Harvard, I would not have been able to come up with the citations necessary to make my case. Carrie, best friends are a major character on all of our podcasts. So. And and as a librarian, I believe in always citing, citing your sources. Citing your sources and thanking your reference support. Yes. <laughs> um, so there's an incredible scene in book five where Harry Potter is brought in to talk about career counseling. And uh, he's supposed to be meeting with McGonagall privately, but Umbridge, because she is this controlling, megalomaniacal villainess has, like, inserted herself into this space so that she can personally and immediately crush all of Harry's dreams as quickly as possible. And you watch McGonagall threading this needle of, like, I want to thwart this troll with every fiber of my being. This woman is everything I hate about the world that I am part of, and I want to delineate myself from her. But also, like, Harry does not have the OWLs and the newts to actually advance into the career that he wants to advance into. And so I can't just be like, yes, Harry Potter, you will be an Auror. What a reasonable thing. I can't just be a pure antagonist. I'm still going to ground him very specifically in the academic requirements and benchmarks he needs to be hitting if that sincerely is the dream that he wants to pursue. And she never says to him, this is out of your league, adjust your expectations. She's just very straight and direct. She's like, here are the things that you will need to improve on. If that's the direction that you want to go, I can certainly see why it appeals to you. And to watch her walk that tightrope, it's a thing of beauty. Vanessa, that's what I'll tell you. It's a thing of beauty. So first of all, yes to everything you said. And the other thing she's teaching Harry or modeling for Harry is how to resist. Yes. Harry has been sort of ineffective at resistance against Umbridge, right? He keeps just going for self-mutilation. Yeah. She's trying to show him a strategic way to resist Umbridge, right? Right. And we see Hermione having figured this out. But Hermione is a minor goddess, so, like, we can't all be Hermione. Sure. But McGonagall is showing him another way. She's like, you do not have to bow to this woman. Right. But that also doesn't mean that you have to let her get away with nonsense. Yes. There's like a middle path that you can pursue. And I just kind of feel like that is what she is there representing all the time, is that it's simultaneously possible to be a member of the Order of the Phoenix, to be committed to defeating Voldemort, and to understand that the people in your charges, your charge are children. Yeah. Right. I think she also exemplifies this beautifully 
the relationship that I shipped the hardest, uh-huh. if there was like magical aging potions involved, uh-huh. would be Lee Jordan and Minerva McGonagall <laughs> because she never takes the microphone away from Lee Jordan, but she does admonish him yes. when he's being overly, you know, pro Gryffindor. Yeah, she has uh, just like an incredible understanding of like, you have to let students make their own mistakes. Mm-hmm. She doesn't, she's not draconian and she doesn't like Umbridge sort of like think that you have to have perfect fealty to her ideals all the time. She just knows she is right and she is confident that if she continues exercising reasonable discipline and continues modeling responsible behavior, that students who want to learn those paths will follow her. Yeah. So the one sort of big pedagogical mistake that I think maybe McGonagall makes— I'm here to listen. —is— Handing Hermione Granger the time turner. I agree. I agree. Okay, so you don't think—I was wondering if you were going to push back and say, no, there was strategy involved in teaching a 13-year-old about limits. You know, I think she probably experienced a certain amount of over-identification with Hermione Mm -hmm. that made her feel like, okay, this is a student who can be responsible with this tool. And By and large, Hermione was as responsible as she could be, but, like, she should have been sitting down and having a conversation with her and saying, you're 13, this is an unreasonable course burden to take on, and it's not that you're not capable of doing it, but it's that, like, your holistic development as a person will benefit from you using that time better. Yeah. The only thing that I can think if I'm doing my most generous reading of McGonagall is that she was like, the only way that Hermione Granger is going to learn that burnout is possible is by experiencing (laughs) burnout. But I would also like to think she wouldn't let Hermione hurt herself so much. I'm going to say that Dumbledore probably agreed to it because he was like, this is the only way Hermione Granger will learn because that is like peak Dumbledore bullpucky. (laughs) (laughs) Nonsense. Peak Dumbledore nonsense is is like, oh, like, they'll only learn by making these mistakes in a completely unfettered way. And it's like, well, okay, or you could just, like, be a responsible, a responsible educator. Yes. So let's look closely. You picked one, like, apotheosis of McGonagall awesomeness. So what moment would you like to draw our eye to? In the first chapter of the first book of Harry Potter, so... Old school. Old school. It is when she and Dumbledore are talking about the fate of Harry after she has spent the day watching the Dursleys on Privet Drive at Dumbledore's insistence. And it is the moment when she finds out that he intends to leave Harry Potter with these people with a a letter explaining his existence. The Dursleys are one of the hardest parts of the book to engage with as an adult. They're the section where I have the biggest rolled doll effect, right? Where, like, when I was a kid and I read rolled doll books, I was like, yeah, all of this just seems like justice because kids are bloodthirsty, you know, autocrats. <laughs> it's like, there is right and there is wrong. There is fair and there is unfair and there is good and there is bad. And bad things happening to bad people, like, that's just appropriate. Yeah. And the limits of what bad people can do and what kind of misery bad people can inflict on good people isn't necessarily something you engage with because it's okay for there to be so much suffering in one portion because at the end of the day, the bad people are going to suffer this unbearable fate. And 
all will be right and all will be well. And I feel like you get that with the Dursleys where just if you genuinely think about like a a child being brought up in the environment and in the way that Harry Potter was brought up, it is gut-wrenching. Like it's, It's almost too much abuse to contend with. And when I think about, you know, just like degrees of failed care that I've seen cause impacts in my real adult friends' lives, and you contrast that with the outright contempt and neglect and abuse that he suffers at the hands of the Dursleys, you're like, darn. (laughs) Jeez. Jeez. McGonagall is just like immediately horrified. She says, you don't mean, you can't mean the people who live here. Dumbledore, you can't. I've been watching them all day. You couldn't find two people who are less like us. And they've got this son. I saw him kicking his mother all the way up the street, screaming for sweets. Harry Potter, come live here. And Dumbledore is just like, it's the best place for him. His aunt and uncle will be able to explain everything to him when he's older. I've written them a letter. Like, Dumbledore, like, which are you? A genius? Or are you an absent-minded professor trope? You have to pick a lane because when I engage with things like this, it's like, are you knowingly setting a child up for a lifetime of abuse? Kind of. You are. So I'm not defending Dumbledore, but (laughs) in honor of McGonagall, she sat on that wall all day. Yeah. And so I think that it's entirely possible that magically and logically this is the best thing to do. But the woman is the one who actually put in the effort, the backbreaking work of sitting on a wall all day. Yes. And she's like, I actually know this for a fact. Right. And he's just like, no, I'm telling you strategically this is what makes sense. Yeah. And she obviously, she's like, really, Dumbledore, you think you can explain all of this in a letter? These people will never understand him. He'll be famous, a legend. I wouldn't be surprised if today is known as Harry Potter Day in the future. There will be books written about Harry. Every child in our world will know his name. Exactly, said Dumbledore, looking very seriously over the top of his half-moon glasses. It would be enough to turn any boy's head. Famous before he can walk and talk. Famous for something he won't even remember. Can't you see how much better off he'll be growing up away from all of that until he's ready to take it? And here, McGonagall folds to Dumbledore because so great is Dumbledore's cult that there isn't really any space to push back against him realistically if you're working in the resistance. Yeah. But just the idea that it's better to set this child up to be abused for 11 years than to possibly risk him getting an inflated sense of his own importance by being around people who understand him to have played a role in just a pivotal event in their world. It is such a strategic choice that has no compassion for the humanity that is in play, that is involved in those decisions. And You see in McGonagall a character whose values are exactly the same as Dumbledore's in terms of, like, what she wants to accomplish, the goals that she sees are important, but who wouldn't allow herself these easy strategic paths, who wouldn't find a strategy complete if it didn't encounter the real humanity of the people involved. I think that this is a brilliant distinction, and there are sort of two things I want to remark on. One is that... I read Dumbledore saying, yeah, we don't want him to grow up with a big head as a justification. He doesn't want to know whether or not this is bad because he's mm-hmm. already decided that it's mm-hmm. what's going to happen. And so he, I think that he's ignoring McGonagall and her protestations. And I think she knows, like, this is not about I'm going to win. I could tell him no 
they will abuse him. And he'll be like, you don't know that. Like, there's no reason setting my hair on fire on yeah. this. To your point, I think you see that again in book seven. In book seven, Dumbledore sends these three kids off as instruments of war. Right. And then when McGonagall is given a chance, she says, everybody under 17 out. Yep. And everybody above 17, now is your chance to leave. Right. She is always worried about the humanity and the choices of the individuals and makes sure to keep that in mind. Whereas Dumbledore, and, and I agree, they have the exact same goals they are equally brilliant. They are equally strategic. Yes. And one of them is able to hold on to the humanity of children and the other is not. Yes. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is Me Undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some Me Undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of Me Undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. I do love by by focusing on these blessings of these individual women noticing threads that I hadn't noticed before. That is such consistency in McGonagall that chapter one, book one. Yep. She's like, no, we don't sacrifice children's lived experiences for a strategy. And at the end of book seven, she's like, no, we don't sacrifice children for a war. Right. There's this uh, seminal work a short story from Ursula K. Le Guin Mm -hmm. called The Ones Who Walk Away From 
Omelas. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's O-M-E-L-A-S. And the story is basically like, there is this perfect utopia. Everyone within it is absolutely ecstatically happy. Everything in it is well-balanced. Everyone has all that they need. But it exists because there is a child in the city in terrible pain. And everyone in this land, living in this utopia, knows that that's happening and knows that that's the price of the perfect lives that they live. And it's just like the question is basically like, would you be a person who would stay and live in that society or would you be a person who walks away? And I feel like Dumbledore is a person who would say, well, if one person suffers for this utopia to exist, if one person is in constant active suffering, numbers-wise, that's that's an acceptable solution. Yeah. And I think McGonagall is someone who would never accept that. Yeah. Um, and especially not, again, if it was one of the children under her care. Yeah. And I just think that's an ethic that's so lacking in the faculty at Hogwarts. Yeah. And it's so comforting to, again, revisit these books as an adult and realize there's at least one person in these spaces who is doing this work appropriately. I say this over and over again, and I feel like it is an unwitting slight against uh, the herbology professor who we just don't see nearly as much of. She's wonderful, Professor Sprout. Professor Sprout, she seems great. I, yeah. I, I respect her pedagogy as well. We just don't get to see it in as thorough a detail. Yeah. But compared to all of the other people who we do engage with at length, McGonagall is the only one I would want going anywhere near any child I loved or cared about. Yeah, the moment I will bless McGonagall for one day (laughs) is the moment where she throws her body in front of Hagrid's. And it's like she has to weigh one-tenth of what Hagrid weighs, right? Like talk about a futile gesture, right? Like she cannot protect Hagrid. And yet she is just like, I am am the senior person here now. Mm -hmm. And so I will do everything. And Dumbledore is somebody who could have been Minister of Magic and stayed out of power. And he he does not step into his full authority and he does not step into his full responsibility. And it always bothered me until you are pointing out this deep character flaw within him. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he in part isn't becoming Minister of Magic because he's like, I'd be too willing to sacrifice too many people. He says that he would get drunk on the power, right? Sure. But I was always frustrated with him. I'm like, look, if you're going to be a good leader— like, go lead. Like, right. you're worried that you're going to be power hungry? Like, go and to a therapist. address that in yourself. Yeah. yeah. Like, figure it out. Yeah. That's so dumb. Don't just stay here crouching in this position that you've only gotten through your intense male privilege. Well, like, not actually caring about the sincere work of being headmaster of a school. Right. And, like, what that would actually entail. I mean, I feel like McGonagall is basically doing all of the work of had mastering that school well before Dumbledore departs. He's just a figurehead who attracts a lot of great donors. <laughs> yeah. I, I also think sometimes that these great institutions like Hogwarts, and we're recording at Harvard right now, sure. also are places to— Same energy. <laughs> to, yeah. To, to house great minds that need an institution behind them, even yeah. though they're not really doing that work. Well, I mean, it's not like it's distinct from how modern universities work now, where right. you attract the great minds, you fet the great minds, you cosset the great minds, and then you use that beacon to attract in 
the people who are going to do the actual work right. who you treat terribly, underpay, denigrate, and uh, refuse to create a permanent space in your institution for, which is all of your adjunct staff. You know, these are just like all of the people who value both the greatness of thought and the emotional well-being of the students that they're and working the with. And the importance of teaching. And the importance of teaching. They're the people who either sincerely embody both impulses or who are forced to embody both impulses until such time as one of the great minds leaves the great mind perch and then they can just go and be like a research god in their own right. Right. And I just feel like that's Dumbledore and McGonagall right there. Yeah. He's the tenured chaired professor and she's the adjunct doing yeah, all the work. Yeah, doing all the work and getting none of the credit for it. Oy. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. McGonagall deserves our blessing. We blessed her last time for being a badass boss bitch mm-hmm. and now for being like the beacon of good pedagogy at a crumbling institution. At an institution where the value of pedagogy is very incompletely understood. So to end this conversation with you in which you have had brilliant insights, I'm going to give you a rigorous, relevant quiz. Oh, phenomenal. So Minerva McGonagall, Mm -hmm. Scottish. So I am going to ask you trivia questions about my second favorite Scottish woman, Susan Boyle. Oh, phenomenal. I did dream a dream about this. (laughs) For those of you who don't remember 2009 as vividly as I do. (laughs) Susan Boyle was on Britain's Got Talent, and she was this sort of presented as like a frumpy, you know, middle-aged woman and was being derided and mocked before she went on stage and then went on stage and gave this like beautiful performance of Les Mis's I Dreamed a Dream and is now a multimillionaire successful singer. She has an astounding voice, and isn't it just so inspiring to know that people who don't have perfectly even symmetrical features and are over the age of 27 can sometimes house astonishingly beautiful voices? Yes. Okay. So, which of the following did Susan Boyle say to the judges before she blew everyone away with I Dreamed a Dream on Britain's Got Talent? A, I've never sung in public before. B, I've never seen Les Mis. C, I've never been kissed, or D, I've never seen Britain's Got Talent. I'm going to go with I've never seen Les Mis. You are incorrect. She said I've never been kissed. I hope she has been kissed many, many times well and thoroughly since then. She has made comments that she was kidding. Good. Great. And that makes much more sense. Uh, but she did say to Simon Cowell, well, I've never been kissed. Like, it is not surprising to me that Hollywood would hear that from Susan Boyle and have no ability to recognize it was a joke. joke. Yes. To be like, oh, God, with a face that unfortunate, like, of course you've never been kissed. As if unaware of the fact that there is a world where people with normal features just function and lead normal lives all the time. Yes. <laughs> Her eyebrows weren't tweezed. Obviously, she's never been kissed. <laughs> okay, well, don't worry. On our quizzes, you just need to get one question right in Great. order to Great. win. And there are four questions. So question two. Prior to her exhibition on Britain's Got Talent, how did Boyle fill her days? A, working as a kindergarten teacher. B, taking care of her ailing mother. C, working in community gardens. Or D, giving music lessons. I am going to guess C. No, so she took care of her ailing mother until her mother was 91 years old. I just, I keep resisting the the pat narrative. Oh, yeah. And I keep 
being forcibly reminded that there is nothing reality television loves more than an incredibly pat narrative. Yeah. Like, of course, of course she was nursing her ailing mother. Yeah, <laughs> like, she was unemployed because she was taking care of her ailing mother in Scotland. Uh, what a wonderful lady. I know. <laughs> she's just really as great as she seems. Yeah. Who, in her pre-singing interview, did she say that she wanted to be as famous as A, Julie Andrews, B, Barbara Streisand, C, Elaine Page, or D, Bernadette Peters? I'm going to go with Barbara Streisand. Oh, Elaine Page. Elaine Page. I've never heard of Elaine Page, so that, that shows what I know. All right, I have one more chance you, to redeem myself. One more chance, and if not, you're still a winner in our hearts. <laughs> I don't know. Wait, the boomers used up all of the resources, but the millennials will always have as many participation trophies as necessary. <laughs> and I will happily take one. <laughs> oh, God. Um, okay, so Boyle has made many cameo appearances in the last 10 years mm-hmm. since she found fame. Which of the following has she not had a cameo on? Okay. A, the video game The Sims. B, Zoolander 2. C, The Simpsons. Or D, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I'm going to guess A, The Sims. No, she's been on The Sims. It was, is it Kimmy Schmidt? Yes, she's not been on Kimmy Schmidt. She should have been on Kimmy Schmidt. It would have been inspired casting. Thank you. (laughs) That's why I was so proud of writing that fake answer. That is a great fake answer. And I just think she suits the Kimmy Schmidt-averse so much more organically than the Sims-averse. I think she would have done incredible, incredible work. So here's the thing. You don't just get participation points. (laughs) You get agreeing with me points, which are the most (laughs) important points to get. You gave me a participation trophy, and I gave it right back to you. (laughs) That's what happened here, Vanessa. We are really millennials. (laughs) Okay. Well, Margaret H. Wilson, everybody go subscribe to Margaret's podcast, Appointment TV. And please, please subscribe to Two Bossy Dames. It is joy in your inbox. Margaret, thank you so much. It was my pleasure being here. Thank you so much for having me and letting me really speak my heart about Minerva McGonagall. God bless her. Yes, God bless her. This has been an episode of Women of Harry Potter. We are edited by Chelsea Erson, executive produced by me, Vanessa Zoltan, and Ariana Nettleman. Special thanks one last time to Margaret H. Willison, and our music is by Nick Bull. We are a Not Sorry production, and we will talk to you in two weeks. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.